Man, when I think about that song, um, the, the, the part in there where it says that you make all things work together for my future um, and for my good, it's a, it's a paraphrase of Romans, uh, where it says that God makes all things work together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And, uh, and one of the things that I love about that song is the very next line says, you make all things work together for your glory and for your name. And, uh, and one of the things that I think we miss sometimes, or every now and then like in Christian culture, so there's a lot of things that are taken from the Bible and misused in Christian culture. One of those things is uh, people will say, well, God makes everything work together for good. And you're like, yes, with an asterisk, uh, for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Yes, for his glory and for his name. Like the song finishes the thought. That's what I love is that the song finishes the thought. It's, just, it's not just that God makes everything work together for good. It's that he makes everything work together for good for those who love him, for his glory, for his name, for the purpose of Christ, for the, uh, the, the moving forward of the gospel story. And and when we come to the place where we recognize that what God has as his core objective is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the moving forward of Jesus, and, and the story of redemption, when we believe that, if, if we can believe that as a higher truth than our personal agenda, our political stance, uh, our our denominational preference, the music we like or don't like, if we could believe that the highest aim of God is moving forward the redemption story of Jesus Christ. And the next step, by the way, in that redemption story is his return. And so like this, the step that we're in right now is people coming to know Jesus. And then the next step will be the return of Christ. And then uh, the thousand year reign and the setting up of the kingdom of heaven forever and ever and ever. And like, that's what's coming next. If we could get that as, as central for our lives and believing that to be true and core and elemental for everything we hold dear, then, man, it shapes how we do everything. It shapes how we treat people. It shapes how we do family. It shapes how we show one another love and kindness. It shapes everything because it, 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 it has at its, as the core elemental, like, uh, nuclear reactor kind of truth, Jesus. We are week three of four weeks talking about unity in Christ, unity in the church. Uh, here's what we have on tap today. Our theology is this. There is no distinction in Christ. Theology is no distinction in Christ. Our application today will be this. Our personal preferences can't shape our eternal perspective. Our personal preferences cannot shape our eternal perspective. And our prayer today will be, God, keep us from division with one another. Today, what we want to talk about, uh, I'm going to be in Acts 10, 11, and 15, Acts 10, 11, and 15, but what we want to talk about today is that, that there really, in fact, is no divide in Christ, and, and so while in practice in the 21st century, and honestly for the last 21 centuries, uh, in practice there has been plenty of divide in the body of Christ, in practice there has been divide between the Jews and the Gentiles, in practice there has been divide between the Anglican church and the evangelical church. In practice, there has been divide uh, in not only reformed and non-reformed, but within the reformed camp, there's like 12 different facets of that. And there's like 30 different types and flavors of Baptist. And so like, 
people, people want to say, well, are you Baptist or are you this or you that? Like, if we really wanted to kind of just stick it to people and show people how ridiculous name tags can be, then when next time somebody asks you, well, is your church Baptist? Ask, well, what kind of Baptist? Like, what do you mean? We're not Baptist, by the way, but just don't tell them, just don't lead off with that. Just ask them, what do you mean? What kind of Baptist? Like fundamentalist Baptist, you know, or like, like just go online. Don't do this. This would be a waste of your afternoon, but hey, go online Look up all the flavors of Baptist and just have it in your hip pocket just so that you're ready to go. Did you mean one of these 30? Uh, because, like, people want so badly to be divided. They just want to be. And so while in practice, hear me say this, please, and, and I'll try to be really clear about it and make it make sense. But while in practice the church is divided, in truth... And by that I mean in Christ, in the truth that comes from the throne of God that reigns from heaven, in truth, the church is not divided. And because that's the truth, it should impact how we behave towards one another. So forget practice, forget how people have been practicing, and let's stand on what is true. I want to read to you a couple of texts uh, in Romans, um, and you can, you can turn there if you would like, but I'm just going to read a couple of verses to you out of Romans. So this one comes out of Romans 2, and it says this. So it's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, and Paul is making the case that the Jews and the Gentiles are both sinners in Christ, and that they both need redemption, sorry, both sinners and both need redemption in Christ. And, and he says this, he says, beginning in verse 9, Romans 2, beginning in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek, that's the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also for the Greeks, for God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. In other words, there was a mindset in the first century church that the Jews had that God was favorable to them because they were Jews. Uh, in the 21st century, the American Christian believes that God is favorable to us because we're Americans. Get over it. Like, we just need to get over that, okay? Because God shows favor towards people through Christ. It is because of Christ that God has favor on us. It is because of Jesus that God has favor upon us, okay? And, and so... What we've got here is we've got this argument that's being made that, look, if you reject God, it, doesn't, it does not matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you reject God, tribulation comes. God is not going to play favorites. And this was shocking to the Jews. They're like, but wait a minute, like we're, we're God's special people, right? And they're like, yeah, but if you reject God, tribulation for you, for you first and then for the Greek. It's God, basically God's fair, <laughs> But for those of you who do righteous, for those of you who put faith in Romans is going to explain to us that the doing of righteousness is putting faith in Christ. For those of you who put faith in Christ, God gives you grace and mercy and peace and joy and healing and life and comfort for the Jew and the Greek. Like it's, it's for everybody. God doesn't play favorites. God isn't making a distinction between one person over another. And I think that what we want to do well, let me, let me not put that on you. Let me make you better Christians than I have been. Uh, I, what I wanted to do and have wanted to do for many, many years of my 45-year existence is I have spent way, way too much time uh, thinking that something I had done or not done made me better than the next person. I spent way too much time gauging myself and others based off of my preferences and my expectation and my work, to be quite honest, and not basing it off of who Christ was. 
Christ is our life. Like, let's do it this way. If I were to ask, and this would be true for, I think, almost everyone in here, I know most of you in some fashion, right? But if I were to ask, do you believe Christ is God? I don't think there'd be any debate about it. I don't think we'd need to have a meeting after church. I don't think that one of you is going to pull me aside and be like, whoa, whoa. That statement you made about Jesus being God, that, I'm good with everything else, but I don't think anybody's going to have a problem with that. If I said to you that Christ died for our sins, I don't think you'd have a problem with that. If I said to you that faith in Jesus saves you, I don't think there'd be a single person who'd go, wait, I take issue with that. If I said to you Jesus is coming back one day, again, I don't think there would be any debate about it. And yet... Those four things that I've just mentioned, Christ being God and dying for us, he's coming back one day. There was another one, uh, faith in him, thank you. Faith in him takes away our sins, makes us righteous. Those four things should be central to everything we hold dear, and yet somehow when we're looking at other people or other churches or other denominations, those four things aren't anywhere in our view. That's problematic. Who gives a rip how somebody else sings? Who gives a rip how somebody else baptizes? Who gives a rip about how somebody else does the Lord's Supper? Do they hold to the truth of Christ? Christ is core. Christ is life. And I think that if I say to you, Christ is life, we all go, yes, resounding, yes, Christ is life. And yet, we leave here and we go into the world and we go into our daily routine and we're like, well, I'm a little bit better than that person because of me. Forgetting what we, what we were reminded of. I don't even think, I don't think there's a single one of us in here learning something new when I say Christ is life. Probably we're just going, yeah, duh. Why am I coming to this church? He keeps saying stuff that I already know. Like, well, you're going to hear that a lot. It's about Jesus. It's about the core of Christ, right? And if we leave here and we lose sight of that, that's where the division enters in. That's where the separation comes in. When, when, when the metric we use to measure someone else is something other than Jesus. That's where division enters in. And, and I, I am probably the worst at it. I know that Christ is life, and there's this little voice in the back of my head that says, yeah, but. Yeah, but, I mean, but come on. Like, they shouldn't be doing that. Instead of saying, they know Christ. And that's the metric by which I measure them. Because it's the measure by which God measures them. And by the way, I'm not higher than him. In God, there's no distinction. There's no difference. There's no partiality. There's no favoritism. Let me read it to you in another text. This is from Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, I'm going to begin in verse 8. He's quoting here from Deuteronomy. Romans 10, beginning in verse 8, says, But what does the scripture say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. And that is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Catch that. With the heart you believe and are justified. With the mouth you confess and are saved. It has nothing to do with their conduct yesterday. Nothing to do with what church they've darkened the door of or haven't for a decade. Everything to do with what they believe about Christ. Everything to do with what they believe about Jesus. And they're justified for it and saved for it. For the scripture says, 
Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of them all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you hear the standard? For the Lord, the one Lord is Lord of all and bestows his blessing on all who call on them, on him. For all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. Not all, not all who look like we do, not all who have the same preferences we do. Uh, listen, when I was in college, and, and I had a phenomenal college pastor, um, was not the best preacher, but was phenomenal at discipleship. And in, I graduated high school in 93, went to college, and, and in my class and the class right behind me in our college group, there were about 20 of us that were personally discipled by our pastor, and we are all still in ministry today all over the place. Uh, one, of, one of my closest friends from, um, from college days is a pastor in Australia. Uh, if I haven't told you that story, you should hear it. It's awesome. The short version of it is his son was doing, a, they lived in San Antonio. His son was doing a progress report on Australia. And he said, dad, wouldn't it be cool if you could preach in Australia? His dad said, yeah, that'd be really cool, but that could never happen. Eight weeks later, he was a pastor in Australia. Um, and, and so like, like, we're still, so this pastor, this really awesome guy uh, that I sat under, he was phenomenal at discipleship. And, and one of the things that he, he made us do, if we were on leadership, and this was just First Baptist Lubbock, this is just kind of the nature of the beast. One of the things that we had to do is we had to sign a piece of paper saying we wouldn't drink alcohol. Uh, you couldn't go to the clubs because dancing happened at the clubs. Um, and you wouldn't be over at your boyfriend or girlfriend's house after 11.59 at night, okay? Because apparently those three things are the only three things that can get you in trouble, and you can't, you know, do something bad with your boyfriend or girlfriend prior to 11.59 at night. <laughs> and so, so long as we swore to the letter that we would do those things, we had to sign these contracts every year, every fall. If we were in leadership, they'd bring us in. We'd sign these contracts, and I just want to state clearly that those things don't make you Christian. Now, the reason you don't want me to dance is because I'm horrible at it. When I was in college, the guy who wrote the Hokey Pokey died, and we didn't have the internet like we do now. We didn't have phones to get that notice, that alert, right? The whole world would have gone into panic. But I, I heard that the guy who wrote the Hokey Pokey died, and for a year, in honor of the Hokey Pokey, every place that I went, every restaurant that I went to, we took a church group to Six Flags, everything that I, in the parking lot of every place I went to, I, I led people in the Hokey Pokey. And that is, that is my dance skills, the Hokey Pokey. Um, I don't think that dancing or having a beer or being over at your girlfriend's after 11.59 at night makes you a bad Christian. In fact, I know 100% it's not even the metric God uses to look at the heart. The metric he uses to look at the heart is, do you know Christ? That's it. So what is it? I, I've said this the last two weeks, and I'll say it next week too until we finish this series up. But we as a church here, a church body, the 456, I, I refuse to promote division between this body and another body. If, if another body is proclaiming a God other than Jesus we will publicly say that and we will be divided with them all day long. But if they're proclaiming Christ, but they do things different than us, we don't care. So long as Christ is proclaimed. 
It's, it's similar to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, where having been in prison, he's in prison at this point, he says, I hear that some people are preaching Christ out of envy and others out of concern for me. So Paul gets arrested. He's in jail for preaching the gospel. And some people are emboldened because Paul, the faithful preacher, has gone to jail. Some people are emboldened to start preaching the gospel. And others are jealous of Paul and all the attention he got. So that's why they're preaching. And Paul goes, I really don't care about their motive so long as Christ is proclaimed. But we 21st century Christians aren't so astute. <laughs> we care about their motives, don't we? What if we didn't? What if we quit caring about their motive and only cared about Christ? What if we quit being concerned about why this church or that person behaved that way? What if we quit keeping records of wrongs and all the faults that they've done that might make them a really bad believer and just say, what do they believe about Christ? What do they know about Jesus? Now, uh, Matthew 28, I promise, Acts 11 or 10, 11, and 15 is really in the future for us in the next 17 minutes. Uh, but... But, but in Matthew 28, Jesus gives what the editors call the Great Commission. It's a big pet peeve of mine. I don't like calling it the Great Commission, but that's probably what you know it as. And if you want to pull me aside and talk to me about that afterwards, completely understand. Uh, but Jesus tells the, the apostles, he says, go into the whole world. He goes from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Go to the whole world. And I, I want to point out that the disciples, the apostles, didn't believe at this point, at the end of Matthew, the beginning of Acts, the disciples did not believe the gospel of salvation was for the Gentiles. They did not believe that. When Jesus said, go into the whole world, they thought he meant go get all the Jews who had been scattered around the world for the last 700 years and bring them to faith. That's what he thought. That's what they thought he meant. Here's how we know. Acts 10. Ready? See, I told you. So here's our application. Our personal preferences, this is the application for today, our personal preferences can't shape our eternal perspective. In Acts 10, Simon Peter is hanging out with Simon the Tanner who lived by the sea. I shared this with the youth we were at camp with a couple of weeks ago. Every single time I think of this, every single time since, I don't know, maybe I was 20, I think of Puff the Magic Dragon. Uh, for whatever reason, this is the tune that's in my head. Simon the Tanner who lived by the sea. Uh, I cannot shake it. And Simon Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner who lived by the sea, Puff the Magic Dragon, always in my head, forever, and I can't quit it. And I don't know, it's just always going to be there. Now it's in your head too, um, and you're welcome. So Simon Peter, the, one of the chief apostles of Christ, is hanging out with Simon the Tanner who lived by the sea, and he's hungry, and he goes up on the roof to pray, and while he's praying, he sees the vis a vision. Uh, a vision is like a waking dream that you actually are seeing happen. It is something that God used to do a lot of. It still happens. Um, it is different than a dream, um, but it's super interesting. We can talk about it another time. Uh, and, and, and so... Peter is up on the roof, this sheet comes down out of heaven, and in it are all these things that Jews are not supposed to eat, creepy, crawly things that Jews are not supposed to eat. I, I feel a little bit bad for Peter, uh, because like Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1 has a vision of God seated on the throne, 
and his upper body is like gleaming metal and his lower body is like burning fire. And there are four living creatures, each with four faces, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, the face of a lion, and the face of a man, each with four wings and wheels covered in eyes moving all over the place and rainbows surrounding the throne of God and God shaking the foundations of heaven. That's Ezekiel's vision. And Peter sees a sheet with bugs in it. Um, I just think that if all the disciples and apostles are getting together comparing visions that they've had, that Peter is probably not wanting to go first um, <laughs> or last, right? Maybe he goes first just so that it sounds cool for half a second till the next guy goes. And, and the Lord says to Peter, he says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And, the, and Peter says, it struck me as interesting for many, many years. Peter says, certainly not, Lord. So acknowledging God as Lord, but tells him no. And, and here's why it's interesting. It's interesting because what's in the sheet is something. Now, Peter is somebody who has the Holy Spirit. Peter is somebody who knows who Christ is, has seen the resurrected Lord. But Peter is still a Jew, and he looks at these things in the sheet, and he goes, a, a Jew's not supposed to eat it. He knows he has freedom in Christ. He knows that the law has been put away. He knows that sin has been overthrown. He knows that death has been defeated. He knows that Christ has given him freedom and life and victory through the Holy Spirit. But he's a Jew who has preferences and has habits and has traditions and has customs and God Almighty says eat and he goes no I'm good and the sheep goes up into heaven and then it comes back down and I wonder a little bit this is Ryan's version of the Bible you understand that in my head it's like a cartoon and I wonder a little bit as it starts coming down Peter's like I wonder what it's going to be this time like thinking it's going to be something different and yet again it's the creepy crawlies and the Lord says Peter get up kill and eat and he goes I can't Lord no, and the sheet goes up into heaven, and then it comes back down the third time. Same thing. Three times this happened. And Peter says, Lord, he goes, I've never eaten anything unclean. And the Lord says this, don't call unclean, don't call unholy what I've called clean and holy. And about this time, there's a knock at Simon the Tanner's door, and some guys show up from Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a soldier. He's a Gentile, not a Jew. And they say, hey, look, our master Cornelius had a vision. He actually had a vision of angels. It's got to make Peter feel a little bit like, come on, man. You know. But anyway, Cornelius had a vision of angels. Uh, he says, hey, come and speak to Cornelius. Peter shows up at Cornelius' house full of Gentiles, and Peter's first words are, you know that it is not lawful, Jewish tradition, not biblical command, not Christ mandate. You know that it is not lawful for a Jew to eat with a Gentile, but God has shown me that what he calls clean, I can't call unclean. Do you hear Peter expressing both his preference, both his tradition and his custom, that's all one category if you're thinking, Ryan, both is more than, it's two. It's not, I, I listed three things. I'm putting them all in one category. He is listing his traditions and his customs and his preference, and he's saying, but here is the eternal perspective of God. Do you see the contrast? It's not right for me to be here and eat with you, but the Lord has called you holy, and he preaches the gospel to them, and the entire group gets saved. Because Peter's, Eternal perspective was not shaped by his personal preference and tradition and custom and upbringing. Do not hear me say it's wrong to have personal preference. Have them all you want. Just don't let it color how you see the eternal perspective of Christ. Don't let it have bearing on how you view someone for whom Christ has died. 
Don't let it undo the love and the grace that Christ has lavished upon the world because you can't stand that somebody's preferences are different than your own. So Peter prays and he leads the people to faith in the Lord. And then in Acts chapter 11, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he's confronted with the other apostles. And the other apostles say, hey, we, we heard about what you did that you went into the house of a Gentile. And the other apostles, the men who had walked with Jesus, are having none of it. Peter, what in the world were you doing eating with the Gentiles? Peter tells the whole story, vision, sheet, stuff in it. Guys come, they come and tell me to go. I go, I pray, I preach. They receive Christ, they receive the Spirit. We get them baptized. They received, and then he says this. He says this, listen, chapter 11. I'm in Romans still. That's part of the problem. Romans 11 is good too. It's just not what I'm looking for. Listen to Acts 11. No, you're fine. (laughs) All right. No, you're fine. Yeah, you're good. All right, so listen to this is Acts 11, verse 15. As I began to speak to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard those things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Yes, that's us. (laughs) Because of this, we're saved. I don't know if you're in here are a Jew. If you're a Jew, great. If you're a Gentile, that's probably all of us. Because of this, we're redeemed. And yet, and yet, a lot of the Jewish believers said, well, man, we're super excited to hear that the Gentiles are being saved. Now, who's going to teach them how to be good Jews? And that's what began to happen. Now, in the, in the intermediary here, Paul has become a Christian. Paul has moved up north. He's moved uh, back to Tarsus. Uh, His buddy Barnabas has come and said, hey, why don't you come preach in Antioch with me? Paul's been preaching in Antioch for about a year. And some people from Jerusalem, it's about a 300-mile journey, which is nothing in West Texas, you know, like, uh, but uh, by donkey or by foot, a little more tedious. And some people from Jerusalem made their way to Antioch, and they're preaching to the Gentile believers in Antioch, here's what you need to do to be a good Christian. And they're telling them all the Jewish rules. Behave like a Jew, get circumcised like a Jew, observe all the feast days. Uh, if, if you're an adult male, I can't imagine that circumcision is an exciting prospect for you, but you want to honor Christ, and you're trying to think about how that's going to go. And, you know, you're thinking, like, I need to take a few days off of work. Let me talk to my boss. Um, and Paul hears all of this because he's there. He's, he's the main teacher there in Antioch along with Barnabas. He hears all of this, and Paul says, wait a minute, have we been misteaching Christ? This is legitimately Paul's concern. Have we been misteaching Christ? We haven't told the Gentiles that they need to be like Jews. We haven't told them to behave like Jews. We've just told them, put your faith in Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas make the trek, a long trek, back down to Jerusalem. And in Acts 15, they have a meeting with all the other apostles and all the other leaders. And they decide this. Look at, look at verse 11, Acts 15, 11. We believe that they will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. Sorry, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they also will be. 
we believe that, they, that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they also will be. This is a much bigger verse, I think, than, let me put it a different way. It would be easy to skip over the weight and the gravity of this verse just in reading the text. The Jewish council who hears some Jews are going and telling the Gentiles, be good Jews so you can be good Christians. The Jewish council decides this. We believe that we're saved by grace just like they are. In other words, it isn't by performance, it isn't by custom, it isn't by tradition, it isn't by our practices, it is by grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of God through the Savior. Now, if I were to ask you, like I asked earlier, the four questions about Jesus, if I were to ask you, do you believe that you are saved by grace? This one might be a little bit harder for some because some of us really love our works. Some of us, I think, are, are very comfortable feeling guilty and ashamed every day. <laughs> oh, I wasn't as good as I should have been yesterday. Like, some of us kind of live in that. That's just kind of our comfort zone. Self-flagellation, and, and we're, just, uh, we're just, we like to sit kind of under the judgment of the law. But I want us to know and hear this, that we are redeemed by God's grace through faith and that alone. And so our testimony about the people who we differ in preference from, uh, the testimony we have about the people who have different traditions than our own, but still hold to the core of Christ, our testimony is we believe that we are saved through grace just like they also are. And that is our unity. That is the thing that binds us together. That is the thing that enables us to delight in one another and enjoy one another and partner with one another and care for one another. That is the thing that fights off the division in Christ. There's no partiality with God. There's no distinction. There's no difference. And we do not, listen, let me say it differently. We get to have our preferences and our traditions, but we do not get to hold them in a place of honor above the cross of Christ. Have, have your preference. Do not allow it to shape your eternal perspective. I assume that part of the reason that you are at this church is because there is something about it you like that you didn't like maybe about another church, that's fine. It's okay to have the preference. What we will never say is that the other church is wrong unless they preach something false about Jesus because the preference isn't the dividing line, what people say about Christ is. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray and I, and, and I, I hope you take these moments to do this that we give you at the end of each service. I, I really do. But our prayer today is God, it's simple. God, keep us from division with one another. God, keep us from division with one another. The, the, the church of God, the church of Christ for 2,100 years has been divided. We don't have to be. So would you, would you just take a moment and just recognize before the Father 
For you, there's no distinction. For you, there's no partiality. For you, there's no favoritism. It's about being in Christ. God, make my heart like yours. Would you just take a moment to do that right where you are? God, I I pray that we would be overwhelmed with the beauty and the truth that in you there is no partiality, no distinction, no division, no favoritism, that in you it is about where we stand with Christ, and that's it. I thank you for Christian tradition. I thank you for the men and women who have laid the groundwork and for the churches that have been built through the years and the legacy of Jesus Christ, but I pray that those things would never cause our hearts to be divided with another who names the name of Jesus. And I pray that it would begin right here in this church body, that we wouldn't be divided one against the other, but that we would champion one another and encourage one another and build one another up in the truth of Jesus Christ. For your namesake, for your glory, for your honor, forever and ever, amen. Now, if you would, just look right here for just a moment. We're about to sing. We're going to worship this God that we serve and know and love together. So if you would, just please stand right where you are. But I want you to hear me say something. Maybe your thing today isn't that you feel divided with the church down the street. Maybe you feel divided because you think, man, if they only knew if they only knew how badly I'd screwed up, if they only knew all the bad choices that I made, if they only knew all the mistakes that I made, if they only knew how hard life is for me right now, how much we're struggling in marriage, how difficult it is with our kids, if we only, if they only knew, if they only knew, if they only knew, hear me say this. You can bring those things to us and we will love you as your friends and as your pastors. Those things do not divide us. We look at you and we know If you are in Christ, you are righteous and holy, and you and I are one body, one faith, one Lord, one God, one that's who we are. And we are with you and for you and love you because Christ has united us. And if there's ever anything you need, I'll be in the back right here. If you just want somebody to come and pray with you or talk to you, I'll be right back there while we sing this last song. Let's worship.